Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter number 12, and we are going to pick up in verse number 38 what we covered last week just for a little bit of review, and then we're going to get into verse 41. You remember last week, we taught, our Lord was talking to them about the sign of Jonah in verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we went over the whole fact that they are still looking for a sign. Jesus had been performing miracle after miracle after miracle, and they're still looking after a sign. He's calling them an evil and adulterous generation because they're still looking after signs. And of course, we brought that forward, made application to the church today. Now we're going to look in verse number 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Do ask that you go before us today. You bless the reading of your word. Father, as always, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, the Lord's whole point is that the people of Nineveh repented with far less signs having been given to it than Jesus had done for the Jews. And in regards to the queen of the south, she heard the wisdom of Solomon and was amazed. And yet they were rejecting the wisdom of the very son of God. Notice that the men of Nineveh, he says, will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why judgment by Nineveh? Number one, Nineveh repented. Israel did not. Number two, Nineveh received the message of Jonah and Israel rejected the message of Jesus. You see, Jonah was a reluctant prophet who became angry when God didn't destroy them. Jesus was a compassionate prophet who lamented and wept over Israel. That's why the men of Nineveh are going to stand up in judgment against them. Why the judgment of the queen of the south, or Sheba? We see the story in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verses 1 through 10. Um, just in case, I know that's not that's probably not a very familiar um part of the Bible, but in first Kings chapter number 10, verse number one, and when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and bear much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in his heart. And Solomon told her all of her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, 
and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came, and my eyes have seen it, and behold, the half of it was not even told to me. Thy wisdom and the prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. You see, the queen of Sheba, she traveled a great distance to see Solomon and brought with her spices and gold and precious stones to give to him. She praised him for his wisdom. She honored him with her gifts. She was willing to do all of that just to hear a mere mortal's earthly wisdom, while the Jews were unwilling to simply <clears throat> walk across the street to hear what Jesus had to say. So the bottom line is that the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba will judge the Jews of Jesus' day because they showed less interest and willingness to heed, even though they had much greater opportunity, much greater. The Ninevites listened to a mere mortal through Jonah. The Queen of Sheba listened to a mere mortal through King Solomon. And yet the God of the universe is standing in front of them and they are rejecting the message. They are not wanting to repent. And then he goes on and he gives an analogy. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and they dwell there. And the last day of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now listen to me. Many the most part, simply interpret these verses to mean that Jesus was speaking about the issue of demon possession. Listen, <laughs> Jesus didn't all of a sudden become bipolar and switch off the subject. Okay, he, he, <clears throat> I mean, I've heard people use this as a proof text to show that it's useless and unwise to cast a demon out of a lost person. However, if you just look, a casual look at the context, 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 would indicate that Jesus was simply making an analogy for the generation of his day, that generation who had rejected his witness and demon possession. Okay? Demon possession is secondary to what he is talking about here. He is dealing, first and foremost, with rejection. In these verses, our Lord is describing the generation of his day. He had already described them in verses 38 through 9 as evil and adulterous. He had already told them that the Ninevites and the Queen of, the, Queen of Sheba of the south would rise up in condemnation against them in the day of judgment. We have to keep it in context. A text out of context is pretext. Don't run with a pretext. So now he is describing them as wicked for all the aforementioned reasons. In Matthew 12, 45, let's see, in uh, Matthew, uh, let me get over there, Matthew 
chapter 12 and verse number 45, he says, it says, Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than he himself. They may enter and dwell there, and the stay of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. So the primary, uh, what he's talking about here in the context is this wicked generation. He is simply using the possession as an analogy. Okay. Why did Jesus call them wicked? He calls them wicked because they were tempting self-reformation, self-reformation by rejecting his offer of the kingdom. He simply uses the example of demon possession to show them how foolish they were being. You see, self-reformation is like driving a car with its front end out of line. You can stay on the road if you grip the steering wheel with both hands and hang on tightly. But any lapse of attention, however, and you head straight for the ditch. And for those that don't know, it just means the front wheels are out of alignment. You should be able to take your hands off of your steering wheel and your car still remain going straight down the road. That means you have good alignment. Your wheels are aligned. Now, if you take your hand off and all of a sudden your steering wheel, your car begins to drift to the left or the right, then you don't have proper alignment on your vehicle. You see, Israel erroneously thought that by gripping the steering wheel, i.e. keeping the external aspects of the law, they could be self-reformed and ultimately saved from the ditch. In other words, we don't need you. However, Jesus taught that self-reformation was not possible as that it required them to keep the law perfectly. And they couldn't do that. He was willing and was willing and was doing it for them, but they were refusing it. Jesus had already been addressing the futility of self-reformation throughout the gospel. In Matthew chapter number five, for example, in Matthew chapter number five, during the Sermon on the Mountain, verse number 27, he said, but I say, say unto you that whosoever looketh at a woman that lust after in her heart had already committed to look lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. In other words, what, and what the law is broken, Jesus is saying, in the heart long before it is broken by the hand. Again, they thought they could do it themselves, but they couldn't. You know, that's why in, in Matthew chapter number five, you know, he, he talks about how that the heart is wicked. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you even look at a woman, even though you don't physically cross the street to touch her, you don't cross that line, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart, is what he is saying. And then and then he, he, he even goes on and he talks about how that if, if you hate your brother, you call him Raka, you've already killed him in your heart, even though you didn't physically cross the street to do it. What he's saying is the heart is wicked. You are incapable of self-reformation because the heart is wicked. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The truth of the matter is that the heart cannot be reformed. It has to be transformed. It cannot be reformed. Reformed is physical in that it is merely a removal of faults by improved conduct. 
but transformed is spiritual in that it implies a change of nature. Reformed is external. You know, we concentrate you got what you got to look like and what you got to walk like and what you got to talk like. But transformed is internal. I behave the way I do because of who I am on the inside. You know, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse number one, uh, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed or take on the shape of this world, but be transformed. How? By going to church? No. By keeping the law? No. By doing this or doing that? No. By the renewing of your mind. It starts on the inside. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus's point in this analogy of the demon-possessed man is that while self-reformation is impossible, transformation is not. However, transformation is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process. The word we use for that is sanctification. It speaks of becoming holy. In other words, I am more holy today than I was yesterday, and hopefully tomorrow I'll be more holy then than I am today. It's not necessarily external. It begins internal and then it goes external. To stop the process of transformation or sanctification is to digress. And the last may prove to be worse than the first. Such had been the case with the Jews in Jesus's day. Many of them had initially repented at the preaching of John the Baptist. Many of them had, yet they eventually rejected Jesus and called for his crucifixion. Truly, their last state was worse than the first. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good. Thank you for listening today. I also serve churches in the areas of pulpit supply, conferences, retreats, and revivals. If I can be a service to you and your ministry, I would love to hear from you. 